You know, when you get an introduction about being kind, I think I'm glad my kids aren't here. Sometimes they have a, a different story to, to tell, but uh, at least I'm, I'm glad that I'm thought of in a, a kind, gentle, fruit of the Spirit kind of way in the presbytery. Uh, but it, it, it's good to be uh, with you. I, uh, I was telling uh, TJ, and actually I, I told this to Jeff a few weeks ago, I didn't realize y'all were going to get to uh, at least as a session meet with him, but he visited us uh, up at Grace Covenant in Williamsburg a few Sundays ago, and uh, I happened to be preaching that Sunday. Uh, I, I didn't recognize Jeff out in the congregation um, until he came up afterwards, so it was good to, uh, to reconnect with him. But one of the things I told him is I said, and I've been in this presbytery for 14 years, and I said, outside of Grace Covenant, Calvary Reformed is the church facility that I have been in more than any other, uh, whether it be a prayer meeting, a commission meeting, a presbytery meeting, just coming down to see Jeff uh, or TJ. Uh, but, um, and I've worshipped here, but it's been in, uh, in, in the evening for presbytery, but it's my first time on a Sunday and so I was excited to get the invitation and glad to, uh, to be with you this morning. So I am uh, married with, uh, with three young, youngish children, I guess now, uh, a middle school daughter and two almost out of elementary school uh, boy-girl uh, twins. And uh, my wife Heather and I will be celebrating our 25th wedding anniversary uh, this year. So yeah, we got married when we were 14 and... Um, <laughs> No, that gives you a sense that maybe I'm older than, than I look. The gray hair gives it away, too. But anyway, it's uh, not here to, to introduce myself further, but to take us into God's Word. And of course, this is a, a time of year, a weekend, and a particular day, when we think about freedom. Uh, freedom something that we uh, deeply long for, that we appreciate, that we celebrate, that we value. And rightly so... Uh, because it's a gift. It's a gift and also because it's something that we're wired for. And so today we're going to talk about freedom. And as you know, our, our text is Galatians uh, chapter 5, uh, verses 16 through 26. Now that's the second part of chapter 5. The first part of chapter 5, uh, Paul's emphasis is that we've been set free and that we're called to freedom, to live in that freedom. And so, as we get into this second part of chapter 5, uh, his emphasis is then on how to live free. Uh, how do we learn to live in the freedom that is ours in Christ? Well, Booker T. Washington, a former slave set free. Uh, Booker T. Washington said this, It's one thing to be set free. It's an entirely different thing to live free. It's one thing to be set free. It's an entirely different thing to live free. Well, that's the truth and the tension that we encounter in this passage uh, today in Galatians 5. And before we hear this part of God's Word, uh, let's go to Him in prayer. Well, Almighty God, we, uh, we thank You for Your Word. Uh, for making Yourself known to us uh, through Your Word, which is living and active, and making Yourself known to us by the power of Your Spirit. And so we come uh, once again asking that You would open Your Word to us 
and us to your word. That we might hear and believe the good news of our freedom in Christ. That we might see Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So Galatians uh, chapter 5, beginning with verse 16. Hear the word of God. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. The desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things that those who make it a practice of doing such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, then let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And this is God's Word. Well, again, former slave Booker T. Washington. It's one thing to be set free. It's an entirely different thing to live free. Well, I remember uh, when that truth became very clear to me in in a powerful and and personal way. It was the summer of 1994. I was on a college missions trip uh, to Kiev, Ukraine. Uh, My roommate was Igor Yeremenko. And I began to understand what Booker T. Washington was was talking about as I got to know my new friend Igor. Uh, He was my roommate at the Kiev Pedagogical Institute for the summer. I learned that he was a former Soviet soldier, uh, that he had driven army tanks uh, for the Soviet Union. And so clearly he had grown up under communism uh, during the, the Cold War. And as you know, 1991, communism fell. And so here I was just two and a half years later, after the fall of the USSR, living with a former Soviet soldier. And I remember I was excited to learn what what is it going to be like with this newfound freedom. And so we talked a lot about freedom. But I remember the first time I said, what what is it like, newfound freedom? And he shook his head and he said, Camper, yes, we're free. It's been ratified, signed, all the documents are in place. But we still live as if we're in bondage. We don't know how to live is those set free. And he said, pay attention as we walk throughout the, the city of Kiev. Pay attention as we go visit my home, my family, and, and the little town of Bravery. 
you'll see that even though people are free, they don't live as if they've been set free. Well, as Paul writes to the Galatians, it's really the same situation for them. Just as God would know, it's the same situation for us today. And that is that in Christ, through His death and His resurrection, we have been set free, but we must continually learn to live within the freedom that's ours in Christ. We continually learn to live within that freedom. And so today in our passage, uh, Paul addresses three questions about freedom. Why, what, and how? Why do we struggle to live in freedom? Uh, What's the nature of the battle for freedom? And how do we learn to live in freedom? Uh, Why do we struggle to live in freedom? What's the nature of the battle? And how do we learn to live in the freedom that is ours in Christ? And so first, why do we struggle to live in freedom? Why the struggle so often uh, to live is is those who have been set free in Christ? And let me reread verses 16 and 17 for us. Uh, Slightly more literal translation, but if you're following along, it'll be easy to stay with me. Again, Paul writes, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these oppose each other, so that you do not do the things you want to do. And so here we encounter two key words. Flesh and spirit. Flesh and spirit. And so many commentators, so many theologians, John Stott, Tim Keller, J.I. Packer, among many others... I was reading uh, again this past week, speak in terms of these two natures. We've already uh, alluded to that and and what we've prayed and what we've sung, but the two natures that are at work within every Christian. Our fallen sinful nature and our regenerate new nature. The flesh and the spirit. And So let's uh, let's talk about the word flesh uh, for just a moment. So flesh comes from the Greek word sarx, S-A-R-X, transliterated. The Greek word sarx, which in the New Testament, whenever it is opposed to the Spirit, it never refers to our physical nature as opposed to our spiritual nature. Rather, it refers to the sin-desiring aspect within us as opposed to the God-desiring aspect. And so here... Flesh is not about our physical bodies, but rather about our fallen, sinful nature. So let's touch on that word spirit uh, for a moment. Spirit, of course, no surprise here, refers to the Holy Spirit who dwells within every believer, the spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead. Therefore, spirit can be thought of as the renewed Christian heart made alive by the Spirit, our regenerate new nature. Now, elsewhere in Ephesians 4, you may uh, remember, be familiar, Paul refers to these two natures as the old self and the new self. And so what we've got is each of us, for each of us, we've got the old self, our fallen condition, the flesh, and the new self, 
our renewed condition, the Spirit. And there's a battle going on between them. There's a battle within. In other words, there is a war often raging within your heart. So let me stick with my Cold War theme for a moment. And nothing says Cold War quite like the movie classic Rocky IV. Rocky IV. Rocky Balboa, the American, versus Ivan Drago, the Soviet. Well, the theme song uh, in 1985 for Rocky IV, uh, it was by the Grammy Award-winning, Academy Award-nominated American rock group Survivor. Now, they're probably best known for an earlier work in Rocky III, Eye of the Tiger. I'm sure you've all worked out to it, gotten psyched up for a Bible study for it. Uh, But everybody knows Eye of the Tiger. Now, this one probably a little lesser known. It was still a number one hit. But the number one hit this particular year was entitled Burning Heart. Burning Heart, and and it really speaks to the conflict within. So listen to these lyrics. Two worlds collide, rival nations. It's a primitive clash, venting years of frustrations. Bravely, we hope against all hope. There is so much at stake, seems our freedom's up against the ropes. But does the crowd understand? Is it east versus west or man against man? What I'm getting at is this. Rocky Four is always taking place within your heart. Whether you've seen the movie or not, it is always taking place with inside of you. Two worlds collide, rival natures, an ongoing clash, years of frustrations. There's so much at stake. Our freedom's up against the ropes. But does the crowd understand? Rival natures, freedom up against the ropes. But does the crowd understand? And that's what Paul is is addressing here. He is asking us, The crowd. Do you understand? Do you understand the conflict? Do you understand what's truly going on within your own heart? And what's going on? Well, here's a basic summary. So, before you become a Christian, you only had a sinful nature, only one nature. So there is no rival. Then you put your trust in Jesus. The Spirit enters in, changes your heart, giving you a new nature. And though the old nature is defeated, it's not yet dead, not yet destroyed. And so a conflict begins. And so what we discover is that now, verse 17, that you, the believer, you desire to live for God. And yet still find yourself at times, following your sinful nature. Or as Paul writes, so that you do not do the things that you want to do. Because deep down, you want to live for God. And yet this battle continues. And I want to make clear that that's every one of us. I mean, that's why we have a confession of sin. Why we receive this assurance of pardon to be reminded of that which is greater. And think about the Apostle Paul. He has his own confession. He talks about his own struggle 
uh, back in, in, in Romans 7. And so part of the reason that we still struggle is because we often don't fully understand the conflict within. And so toward that end, let's, uh, let's dive a little deeper and, and seek to better understand. Uh, verses 19 through 21, Paul lists 15 works of the flesh. Fifteen. Now, it's not an exhaustive list, and Paul uh, notes that, verse 21, uh, saying that these are among other sins. And what I want to highlight about the list is that all the sins here, all the sins in this list, they are actions and attitudes with a common root. Maybe 15 different sins, but they all have a common root. So that leads us to our next question. So next, what's the nature of this battle for freedom? What's the precise nature of the battle within so we come to another key word in our passage. That word is desire. Desire. That's the common root that I just mentioned. And so understanding the word desire helps us better understand the precise nature of this battle that is going on within. And it's a battle between the desires of the flesh against the spirit. Against our new nature. So let's talk about the word desire for a moment, and in particular, the desires of the flesh. So the word desire, it comes from the Greek word epithumia. Epithumia. Now, in some, some versions, the word is translated as lust. Now, that can mislead the reader to think only in terms of, of sensuality and, and sexual lust. In other Uh, Versions, the word is translated desires, like what we're reading from today. But at times, that's not as helpful either, uh, because we can begin to think of desires as being something bad in and of themselves, and and they're not. In fact, desires are, are a good gift from a good creator. And so here's the deal. The word epithumia, and you might think of it as as a a compound word of sorts, uh, but the word epithumia literally means epi-desire, over-desire, inordinate desire. In other words, it is desire gone wild, an all-consuming drive and appetite. Epithumia is hyper-desire. Hyper-desire. Okay, so think about it this way. Do you have a pulse this morning? I hope so. And I hope it continues at least until the end of the service. No, seriously, I hope it continues for many, many more years. Uh, But, you know, think about it. Like desire, a pulse is a good thing, a God-given thing. You need a heartbeat to live. But a hyperpulse is a bad thing. It's a good thing gone wild, a good thing shifted into overdrive and thus becoming a bad thing. Something that can kill. And so you see, the main problem is, is not so much that we desire bad things, but that we often over-desire good things. So our fallen sinful nature takes something good, turns it into a sort of God for us, telling us that we must 
have this thing. We have got to have this hyper desire and that we need it. That we need it for real significance, security, satisfaction. And when you think about it, these over-desires are sinful because they deny that God is all we need. So let me give you a personal example. So th- this is something that I, I come up upon uh, relatively often. In fact, anytime I'm preparing to preach, I have a good desire to preach well. Why is that a good desire? Because this is God's perfect word given to us. And, and I want to I help people hear the truth and grace of what God says to us. I want to help people in a way that's clear and concise. But inevitably, at some point during the week, if not earlier in the week, it's going to hit me on Friday or Saturday, even Sunday morning. I get this over-desire. It kicks in. And it's an inordinate amount of vigilance. Okay, vigilance, a good thing. To be on guard, to stay alert, to pay attention. But it becomes a hyper-vigilance. You know what a hypervigilance, another word for that is? It's anxiety. When we're anxious, it's a hypervigilance. And so what's behind that? Well, because not only do I want to preach well, but I am, uh, I am the oldest child of two. My younger brother uh, was my driver today. He's visiting from New York. Uh, but as an, as an elder brother, I have a lot of those elder brother tendencies. The moralist, I've got to get it right. I've got to get this right. Okay, well then, as TJ mentioned, I can have this, you know, friendly affability about me. Well, I I like people, so that means I want people to like me. And whether I'm conscious of it or not, there's something going on in the back of my mind. Well, what if I mess this thing up? And and what are people going to think if if, if this is, is a disaster? And so all of a sudden... The way that I am focused on my identity, rather than believing and seeing it rooted in Christ, it's now, for the moment, rooted in how good or how poorly I preach and what people think of me. And this happens because there's that over-desire telling me, you've got to have this thing. You've got to have it for real security, significance, satisfaction. If you get it, you'll have those. And so that's the conflict within. That's the conflict within where that sinful nature taking something good and battling against the Spirit. It's the battle between the hyper-desires of the flesh, again, my, my fallen sinful nature, the desires of the Spirit, my regenerate new nature. And that's why we struggle. That's why we struggle as those set free. And so what do we do? If this constant battle is going on, what do we do? And so that leads us to our third question, final question. And so lastly, how do we learn to live in freedom? How do we learn to live as those set free in Christ? 
And notice, I'm using the word, how do we learn? It's a process. I'll come back to that in just a moment. But how do we learn to live this way? Now, we've already taken one significant step, and that is learning the precise nature of the battle. Uh, Because, as the saying goes, knowing is half the battle, right? Yes. So we know what's going on. But I want you to take a look, verse 18. If you are led by the Spirit, and that is you, if you have put your faith in Jesus, you are led by the Spirit. And so, if you are led by the Spirit, then you are truly free to learn freedom. Because in Christ, by the power of the Spirit, you are now free to become who you were created to be. Free to grow in Christ-likeness. Now, we often think of freedom as having no boundaries, no rules. But that's to misunderstand freedom. Like Elsa, an animated film Frozen. When she sings, it's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. I'm free. Well, more than that, this actually makes me think of a a series of Ford truck commercials that I loved from several years ago. Uh, At the the time, the, the slogan for Ford trucks, Ford trucks, no boundaries. Anybody remember that? No boundaries. Anybody drive a Ford truck? Okay, well, at the time, I was driving a, a Ford Explorer, and so I was, in particular, it was, an, well, it was an older Ford Explorer, so I was really drawn to the ads, the newer models. And so, here it was, had my attention, no boundaries. I'm thinking, yes, this is freedom, this is what I need. And, and so, I remember watching as they would show a Ford Explorer driving over cities. Okay, not through them, but literally over top of them. And then there was another one that I remember where the the, the Ford Explorer is driving just straight up, you know, a straight vertical, uh, climbing a rocky, treacherous mountain, you know, down at the bottom, small print, do not try this at home. But my favorite was the one that showed the Explorer driving underwater. And I thought, that's the one that I want. But you know, when I think about it, and those were really drawing me in to want that, to beginning to have a hyper desire for something I really didn't need, but really, really wanted. But driving my Explorer with no boundaries, driving it underwater, is that freedom? No, it's stupid. It's stupid. It doesn't work. You see, I'm only free in my Explorer. You're only free in your Explorer when you drive it as it was created to be driven, as it was intended to be driven. And so it is with us. True freedom is to live as you were created to live. True freedom is to live as you were created to live. That's why God has given us the Bible. But put most simply, as Jesus put it, you see, we were created to live as love God, love neighbor people. That's, what we're, that's how we're created to be. Love God, love neighbor people, just like Jesus. 
And you know, we get a, a small taste of that here, the fruit of the Spirit. You're familiar with it, verses 22 and 23. It gives us a taste of the fruit that will be born in our lives as we grow in living, as we're learning to live this life of freedom. We are created to look like Jesus, to reflect Christ-like character. Okay, so as we, as we near the end of the sermon, I want you to note how Paul ends this section of his letter. Verse 25. Verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. If we live, if we have been made alive, and again, if you are in Christ, you have been alive, you've been made alive by the Spirit. As one made alive by the Spirit, Paul says, then also walk by that same Spirit. Now, if, if it sounds familiar, and I, I think you, you all were in Galatians a, a couple of years ago, but Paul is rephrasing, he is answering positively an earlier question he posed to the Galatians. Chapter 3, verse 3. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? And, and there's that Greek word, sarks, again. Are you now being perfected, conformed to the image of Jesus by the flesh? Or another translation, being perfected by human effort. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by human effort? Now, as you probably remember uh, in Galatians, at this point in the book, Paul has already rooted the Galatians and our justification in grace. And now he is clearly rooting our sanctification in grace too. Uh, justification that in Christ we are forgiven of sin and accepted as righteous by God. And then our sanctification that we are increasingly being made to look like Jesus by the power of the Spirit. Well, reflecting on our sanctification, uh, PCA missionary Josiah Bancroft uh, speaks of a repenting faith. A repenting faith. The two steps of walking by the Spirit, repentance and faith. Two feet, one in front of the other. Repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. And he says this. He says that as we walk in repentance and faith, we will have a decreasing confidence in ourselves and an increasing confidence in the Spirit to transform our lives. And so where is your confidence? And I'm not talking about where do you give intellectual assent but where do you functionally live out? If you're to look at your life, where is your confidence? Where do you put your trust day in and day out? And whom are you relying as you grow up in Christ? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by your own human effort? Or are you walking by the power of the indwelling Spirit? Well, John Stott has an excellent illustration. Uh, it comes from William Temple and, and speaks to this so well. It's no good giving me a play like Hamlet or King Lear, 
telling me to write a play like that. Shakespeare could do it. I can't. And it's no good showing me a life like the life of Jesus and telling me to live a life like that. Jesus could do it. I can't. But, but if the genius of Shakespeare could somehow come and live in me, then I could write plays like that. And if the Spirit of Jesus could come and live in me, then I could learn to live a life like that. And this is the secret of Christian sanctification. It's not that we should strive in our own strength to live a life like Jesus, but that He, by His Spirit, should come and live in us and change us as we walk with Him, as we trust in Him, as we actively engage Him in repentance and faith. Because you see, to have Him as our example is not enough. We need Him as our Savior. And not just yesterday, but today and every day. And so friends, what what this means is that we must live in continual dependence, constant dependence on Jesus, which is how we learn to walk by the Spirit, the very thing we're commanded to do here. In other words, to walk by the Spirit is to stay rooted in the very grace of Jesus, which we do through continual repentance and faith. Again, the two steps of walking by the Spirit. Now remember, learning to walk is not easy, Nor is it instant. Learning to walk is both hard work and, as I said earlier, a process. It's a lifelong process for us. Because we are all a people in process. All in Christ are in this process, learning to walk. And in that, we have all got to actively engage in this process as we learn to live by faith. And are we going to stumble and fall? Oh, yeah. All of us will stumble and fall along the way, no doubt. But God. But God is for us. He loves us. And He is at work within us. And so, brothers and sisters, continually look to Jesus. Continually look to Him, and as those made alive by His Spirit, let us also walk by His Spirit. Or as Paul says elsewhere, just as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so also walk in Him. For that's the way, that's how we learn to live in this freedom that is ours in Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Well, our good and gracious God, oh, we thank You. We thank You for the gift of Your indwelling Spirit, that we might know You powerfully and that we might know You personally. And we thank You that in Christ, through faith, we are now able to truly grow in grace and godliness. And so we ask, Lord, Lord, help us to trust you more day in and day out, walking by
by the Spirit and living in true freedom. Amen.